Hello and welcome to another Kangaroo English Daily Digest podcast. My name is Christian and today is Monday, best day of the week. <laughs> um, today I'm going to be talking about the past. I'm going to be talking about um, specifically 80 years ago in the past um, and and how disappointing it can be sometimes to to look back but but before we do that um we let's talk about today's word of the day and today's word of the day is a great example of how you could you know when you're reading and you see a word that you don't know and you're trying to to decipher this word from its context you know I'm going to give you an example of how you can pull apart a word to try and at least try to understand it. You could be completely wrong, but hey, uh, all thinking is good. Um, so the word of today is supersede. So super, like Superman, and seed is spelt S-E-D-E. Seed, which is different from seed, S-E-E-D, like, you know, for a seed from a plant or a fruit. Um, so it's supersede. Now, let's let's break the word into the two obvious components. We have super and we have seed. So we know super, you know, from, from Superman, like as an adjective, Superman, or I had a really super vacation. Uh, I'm super excited about listening to the to the kangaroo english podcast or you know all of these things are super right so super obviously means like something which is really good but superman is not just about being good it's about being at the top about being number one he's the strongest most powerful man in the universe i i think i'm not really into comic books but i think maybe maybe he is so so super is about being number one um Now let's look at let's look at seed, seed. Now, if you're interested in the game of tennis, then you've probably heard this word before, seed. So, you might say that um, in the French Open, um, Serena Williams is the number one seed, and maybe another player is the number twenty-three seed, and basically, literally, it means seat. To, to sit and you so basically Serena Williams is, is the number one seat she's at the top and uh, the other player is sitting in position number 23 sitting that's what it means it comes from the Latin via via Scottish believe it or not um, to, to be where you're sitting so supersede means to sit on top And if something's sitting on top, then obviously it's better than than all of the other things underneath it. So when something supersedes another thing, and it's a verb, so it supersedes it because it's better. So for example, um, mobile telephones have superseded uh, landlines and payphones out on the street. Uh, electric cars in the future will will supersede diesel and and petrol cars i mean the the ideas uh medicine for example the the field of medicine the things that we can do 
with keyhole surgery, for example, they've superseded all of the old techniques. But that's why I wanted to, to make today's word of the day supersede, because I have a book here from, from 1939. Uh, so that's exactly 80 years ago. Um, now, 1939 was, was a mostly bad year. <laughs> I mean, it was good because John Cleese from Monty Python was born. But it was bad because, um, yeah, it was the, the beginning of World War II, which was obviously a terrible thing. Um, but it's also when this book was written. So I have a book in front of me called How to Write, Think, and Speak Correctly. And it's incredible to think that I have this book in my hand from 80 years ago. It's, it's got this kind of faded blue cover. It looks a bit like an old Bible. And... When I, I picked up this book because my, my father-in-law was going to throw it away. He's, he's clearing out his old books. And, and I, I picked up the book and I thought, ha, here I can have a little laugh about how far we've progressed in our thoughts about language, about how to write and speak correctly. I can have a laugh at how old-fashioned all the ideas are in this book from 80 years ago and and... You know, I can make fun. I can make fun of how far we've come. I can make fun of how all of our modern ways of teaching and learning languages have been superseded by, by you know, have, have superseded this this old book. But but I was I was very wrong because as soon as I started reading, I realized that in the past eighty years we we really seem to have gone backwards in. In the way that we, in the way that we treat and view language, and it's really disappointing. So, I'm going to start with one of the more flowery passages from the book. So this is more kind of poetry, okay? Uh, and it's talking about it's talking about um, basically the the magic of of being able to talk, the magic of language. So here we go. To to all of us, unless we are born or become dumb. Dumb is an old-fashioned word for um, to be mute, to be unable to speak. Okay, so to all of us, unless we are born or become dumb, is given from our earliest to our closing moments the power to make a noise. We signify our successful arrival into the world by a squawk and our departure sometimes by a rattle, generally by a sigh. And in the period that intervenes, we make for ourselves, unless we die very young, out of the raw material, noise, that intricate, subtle, and beautifully finished product that we call speech. So it's kind of a nice introduction to, to, how, to how the author feels about, about, about language, you know, that it's a beautifully finished product and intricate and subtle. It's magic. And, you know, that's all very nice. And there's lots of people who still, there's lots of people who still consider and talk about language in those ways. But, but then as we get into more of the, 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 the technical stuff, this is when we, we really find the differences between, between 80 years ago and now. So, so listen to this. 
We must not imagine that if we have learned how to spell and punctuate in accordance with current conventions and how to avoid grammatical errors, our written composition is bound to be good. Faultless spelling and grammatical accuracy are negative qualities only. We need to acquire them, certainly, but once they are acquired, we should forget about them, or at any rate, relegate them to the background of our consciousness. We should try to make them, in fact, part of our second nature, so that we do not have to think consciously about them when we are writing. Nothing is so likely to damn the natural flow of our thoughts or stop the fluent running of our pen as over-anxious concern about details of grammar or spelling. Let your pen run freely, in pace with your thoughts if it can. And then when your writing is done, it is time to read through in search of possible errors in punctuation, spelling, or grammar. And to those who fear of making such errors cramps their style at the beginning and induces a kind of stage fright, I would say that on the whole, it is better to have something to say and make mistakes in saying it than to have nothing to say and say it in faultless language. Now, can, can you imagine your, your English teacher saying that to you now? Listen, I want you to just express yourself and don't worry about, about whether you make mistakes or not. Just the important thing is that you've got something to say. How, how many English teachers are saying that to their students? And how many exam preparation books will you find that suggest that you should just start by letting your pen run freely? Well, 80 years after this book was written, you won't find any which is a great disappointment to me. <laughs> um, and, and the chapter, this chapter on writing finishes with the following, um, with, with the following uh, words here. It says, um, Many people I know think that a profusion of words makes for good style and that long and learned words are a sure indication of knowledge. This is not the case. The person who writes the best English is the one who conveys his message or meaning in the simplest and most straightforward manner without being either dull or uninteresting. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty much the opposite to, to most language teaching, which is all about the unending acquisition of vocabulary this just desire to devour vocabulary and but but really and and i know that 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 this is something i quite often repeat and probably bores you to tears but you know language is simply the tool that we use to communicate our our thoughts and ideas so what's much more important to focus on in, in any type of classroom, be it a language classroom or a mathematics classroom or anything, is about the thought process, about, about making sure that you have something to say. And the details of language, they're, they're something which, you know, you, sure, you need to find the right words sometimes. 
And you can find that right word, but well, and this is this is what it says. Listen to this. Um, it while it is true that clear language does not always imply a clear mind, it is also true that nine cases out of ten, obscure language implies a muddled mind. So for anybody worried about not having enough vocabulary, for people worried about needing to know 25,000 words, all of that, um, as, they, as they describe it, obscure language, all of that obscure language can, can imply a muddled mind. You don't need, and the research tells us this, you don't need huge vocabulary to express yourself clearly. Um, and I, I'm going to be talking more about this, um, more about this book in in the future because there's just so much amazing stuff in here. But I want to just read one final part, which is very short. And because remember, this book is called "How to Write, Think, and Speak Correctly," and this is really interesting because when I had my interview with Dan Everett, he said that. Language was taught in the past as a way to help you think. And, and in fact, the entire existence of this book, the, the whole idea that they put together, writing and speaking and thinking as one book, tells you that, again, we've, we've lost our way. No one would dare to release a book now that, that, that suggests that, you know, that, that writing and thinking are, are, are part of the same thing. So this is, this is from the, the chapter called The Purpose of Reasoning. It says, The purpose of thinking or reasoning, as we may more usefully call it, is to arrive at the truth. I mean, <laughs> we've, we've gone so far backwards in, in 80 years. The purpose of thinking is to arrive at the truth. And now, you know, we're in a world, we're in a world full of fake news and we're, we're full of, we're, we're in a world full of people who believe that opinion is the same as fact, that truth is somehow some sort of objective, sorry, some sort of subjective thing that something can be true for you, but not for other people. It's just, it's disappointing. Um, and and that's why we need a second revolution in language learning. And the revolution is coming. I promise. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's Daily Digest. My name is Christian and I'll see you in class. <laughs>